All right, everybody. I am here today with Victor Travelante. He is the owner and operator there, CEO of Credit Card Processing for Less. How are you doing today, Vic? Very well. Thank you, James. Awesome. So I really am excited to interview Vic. I've known Vic for a long time. Uh, how long, Vic? I don't know. Seven years or something like that? Within the le- I, I opened this agency in early 2011, and I probably started seeing your early videos within three to six months. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. probably so eight time. years or so. Yeah. So uh, Vic is a uh, sole proprietor type rep. In other words, he's got a you know one-man show, brings in some people to help out with different things along the way. But um, I really wanted to interview... Uh, someone on the show, and it was so funny how this worked out, Vic, because I was just talking to, I talked to Patty about this, talked to some other people about, I want to get some successful individual agents on the show that have yeah. built that, you know, six-figure residual that, you know, have established themselves and kind of talk about the, the the perspective from the feet on the street. And then it was funny because then you yeah. sent me an email saying that, you know, yeah. hey, I'd like <laughs> to share my story. And I was like, oh, this is great. So, uh, yeah, so let's, so Vic, let's start with this. Tell us a little bit about, you know, we, we talked about 2011 there. Tell us about yeah. that. You know, how'd you get into this crazy industry? You know, how did what what transpired to get you started in this thing? Um, I, I guess I w- I worked. I, I was in my what late thirties. Yeah, um, I worked for a large commercial bank here on Long Island, and like every other bank, they they dip their fingers in you know many lines of business. Sure. So as the business banker, my role was to deal specifically with the business accounts. And as I said earlier, you know, when they sat down with me, whether it was to, you know, basic inquiry on their account or to order checks, what have you, you know, I looked at their account history. And if they did any kind of processing, that electronic, you know, transaction, ACH came in. Right. And I could see that. So um, at that time, now it's it's different because next day funding is standard. Right. But at that time, the only way you got true next day funding is if you did it through the bank. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was a laydown referral, you know, even if the fees didn't change, if people can get their money the next day, it was, you know, yep. save them NSF fees. Sure. It was great. Sure. So as it pertains to how I got into the business, I referred them a lot and I got friendly with the rep uh, who was in Texas on the phone and I wasn't happy working for the bank. Um, I earned a good income. The benefits were great, sure. but I just had zero fulfillment. Absolutely right. zero. I, I I was very clear to me that they could care less about my future. And every month I started from zero with accounts and it it just was nothing about it. I liked. So I was at a stage in my life where I said, you know what, I got to pull the trigger or, you know, kind of make the decision to fade away. And, uh, I looked at businesses and, uh, my father and my brother are both teachers. My father is a tier one teacher and he retired with a nice pension and I remember thinking to myself, you know, what business can I go into where, you know, as long as the customer pays, I get paid. Right. And <laughs> there, there's only a few hand industries where that happens, you know, yeah. insurance, financial services. And, you know, eight years ago, this was before the chip cards here in the States. So I kind of did a little bit of research. I didn't do a ton. Um, I spoke to a few people and I said, you know what, if this big bank, if the way they're servicing their accounts is on a telephone to Texas, what if I was in the local area and, you know, I could do stuff like give free paper, like real service. Right. And, you know, I, I didn't know anybody else in the business. And like, that's probably how we started talking. And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. So... Very interesting. So, so talk about, you know, the first, one of the things I love asking uh, individual agents is, you know, 
usually, if you're like me at least, you, you remember that first thousand dollar residual check when you kind of <laughs> right broke four figures. Uh, so talk yeah. a little bit about, I guess, number one, if you even remember from this long ago, I mean, how roughly how long that took, but also like, how did you prospect? What was your day to day in order to get that first thousand dollars in monthly residual? Yeah. Well, it, it really didn't change much between 2011 and 2016, um, pretty mm. much, and, and we've spoken about this many yeah. times in the past, um, I walked into businesses, I probably did about one-fifth of what you were supposed to do, but for about three and a half years, I walked into 100 to 150 businesses a month, which again, I know is nothing, but... Um, a lot more, a lot more than many of our listeners. Yeah, I would I'll suspect. tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go well, ahead. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is this <laughs> is full time. You right. know, So sure. it, it wasn't it wasn't a part time gig. Right. And like I said, I earned a good income at the bank, and you know, to go from what I was earning to goose egg, um, I had right. to kind of get this going asap. So did you this just is, out of curiosity? Did you leave the bank and then immediately go into sales, or you were you sort of transitioning? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. I, I, I left the bank in uh, late 2010, okay. technically early 2011. You know, I had put together some plans as to how I was going to get clients, but, sure. you know, it, it wasn't a thorough business plan. I, I wouldn't use the way I did it as a model for, uh, for success. And that's one of the reasons why <laughs> I guess <laughs> you know, I wanted to talk to James about this, because it, do, it doesn't take a lot to do well in this industry. You mm -hmm. just have to do it over and over. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, again, I mean, it's funny because you say that, you know, but not to use you as a model for success, but I mean, you know, you did get it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, so so anyway, so so as far as prospecting, though, you're just walking into businesses, cold turkey. Um, any targeting yeah. that went into that or kind of just going down the street and going to everybody yeah. or like, what, what'd you do? Go, go, I, I, because I was afraid of the bigger clients, you know, and right. bigger, not like, you know, 10 location, like I'm talking like a big restaurant or something. Right. Right. I was intimidated of that stuff. So I, I definitely did not walk into every single business. I should have, uh, but I didn't. I walked into the, you know, kind of comfortable, smaller sure. businesses where the owner was likely to be there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just introduced myself. It wasn't a sales pitch. I, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a really good salesperson. Um, my model has always been look for the people that are open. Don't try to twist the arms of people who aren't. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think it's, you know, playing that numbers game. So one thing, too, yeah. and what we may jump back around to, to this, I want to talk about kind of what you've been doing lately with prospecting, but I want to yeah. jump ahead to talk about the numbers game since you just brought that up because to clarify – you know, the market you're in is like seriously one of the most competitive in the country. So tell everybody a little yeah. bit about where you are yeah. and how does that numbers game work out? Mm -hmm. You walk into 150 businesses in a month. How many of them are going to give you the time of day? Yeah, sure. Well, the good and the good and bad thing uh, about it being a super competitive industry market is that, you know, credit when you say credit card processing to a retail storefront, you know, business owner, it's like, you know, saying, some kind of STD. I mean, they, they don't <laughs> want to hear about it at all. I like that. But more of more more people use the telephone to solicit. And from right. what I, you know, I, I'm not friendly with my competition. I don't know exactly how they do it, but I do know that between robocalls right. and call centers overseas, they get phone calls every day, usually multiple times a day. Right. So, yep. and on top of that, the people that are calling 
know next to nothing about the industry. Right. You know, they start out with an outright lie, you know, yeah. saying that they're their current company, that they already do their processing and right. they want to send them an updated terminal. Or that yeah, they're or that they're in they're in breach of some they're in breach of some right. uh, compliance requirements right. and they're right. calling from Visa. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh. Yeah. So yeah, when I come in, I mean I'm pretty well spoken. I I present myself well. I'm trustworthy. I, I I mean, after eight and a half years, I know sure. a decent amount about the industry, but I'm certainly not, you know, a top tier knowledge person. Sure. But, you know, it, it, I guess it all comes down to people see that I'm different. Right. You know, right. that I'm coming in literally asking who they're using with the intention of helping them. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. All of my clients get free paper. Everybody's on a month to month agreement, free equipment. Um, it's a really good value proposition, and I'm pretty sure that in almost all of the cases, they don't have what I have, what I'm giving. Right. So I walk in confidently knowing that if it makes sense for both of us, I mean, if I'm going to make $3 a month on the account, then I'm not interested. Right, sure. But if it's, if it's value for both of us, you know, they've got a lot more to gain from having me than the other way around. That's really the truth of it. I'm not saying that to sound right. you know, sure. no. arrogant, and, but it's the truth. And, I mean, you know, they I save thousands of dollars a year. And yeah, right. Like, I really don't think you can overemphasize that e- either, Vic. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of the salespeople I talk to that are trying to make it in this industry. Um, unfortunately, there are some disreputable companies in our industry. There's a lot of good ones, but there's some bad ones. And a a lot of these guys are like, I'm trying to make it. And I'm like, are you a thousand percent confident that you're providing a great solution that's going to be in the long-term best interest of the prospect? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, that's not good. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Right. Right? So it's, you know, finding that, you know, making sure you, you know, you, you have that. So, so going back to the numbers game, I mean, Walk us through yeah. a little bit, just rough idea. I mean, I know you don't have specifics, but it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if you go out to 150 businesses and walk in, how many of them are going to be like relatively interested and how many sales out yeah. of that are you making? You know, it's funny because uh, you did a video, one of your 22,000 videos, <laughs> that I remember right. a while ago, you did one that basically one of the things you said was track everything. And although I haven't tracked everything, right. I did track my activity for the time that That's I awesome. did my visits. And year after year, uh, the numbers came out to be pretty much the same. It was basically every 100 visits, I met with the right person 20 to 25% of the time. And of that, uh, I got usually three to four leads, uh, real leads, out mm-hmm. of the 20 or 25 right. business owners. So, And out of that, I closed maybe one. So basically every 100 visits translated to one sale. Yep. And again, my approach wasn't, you know, fight them you know there was right. literally nobody says oh i'm glad you're here where do i sign right but you know they, they say basically your timing is right i'm in the market basically right. and let and me and let there, me um let me break down one other number vic so it's really interesting yeah. and i i had never heard that exactly before from you so that, but it's really interesting how that mm-hmm. lines up so there is a, another number um which i found lately that's really interesting and which which adds up there which is five percent of the merchants that mm-hmm. you talk to the decision makers you talk to are actively experiencing a negative with their current provider, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you just that said. Which is right. yeah, because yeah, you're saying out of your, you know, you go to 100, you talk to like 20, 25, and you make one right. sale. Which means if you talk to 100, you'd make about four or five sales. And that's Correct. so if you play that numbers game in a really competitive right. market where you don't have a, you know, it's going to be very difficult to talk people into it. Really, like you're gonna, you right. know, if you're just playing the pure numbers game like Vic is doing, that mm-hmm. strategy is. 
go find all the people that hate their current provider, basically, which fortunately in our industry is not that difficult to find. Right. (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, I guess. But fortunately in some cases. Fortunately for some, unfortunately for others. Especially if you have, you know, the longer you're in this business, the longer that your experience, as we just, you know, did, as we just spoke about with the whole Verifone terminal issue, you know, I mean, that affected, I don't even know how many thousands of people. So if you walked into businesses since Memorial Day, no question about it. You had somebody that had a Verifone terminal that experienced that. And right. if they didn't have an independent local agent, which most of them don't, right. they were probably on the phone for two and a half hours. <laughs> right. Someone who doesn't know anything. Right. So let, let's, let's talk about that talk for a about second. That. Yeah, yeah because I, ask. Yeah, so yeah. we were, Vic and I and, and Patty were talking before the interview about this. Um, so, so Vic, I'll let you talk about it. So it's funny because I, you know, I, I just mentioned I was just at the MWAA and I talked to some executives and, and things that had no idea about this but this was a really big deal. So Vic, tell us what yeah. happened with Verifone from the perspective of feet on the street. Yeah. Um, basically, I, the, the, the technical details about it, I, I don't know. I hear it was something with a software update that right. went wrong. Um, somebody at Verifone, which they have by far and away the largest market share of, of payment terminals out there, mm-hmm. um, somebody at Verifone did something wrong with a file update, a software update, and the end result for the merchants that were affected where the terminal would just reboot over and over and over, making Ooh. it not only unusable, but they couldn't settle, they couldn't get their money, right. and it was like a Hurricane Katrina catastrophe in, in this industry. So Yeah, um, and, it, and it was interesting. So a, a little more context for this. Um, this did yeah. not affect every processor that used Verifone, um, but there is right. a specific file build type that's that's used uh, uh-huh. for Verifone, and a lot of the mega large ISOs were using this. Okay. Um, and this affected, yeah. I don't know, I would say this conservatively affected at least half a million merchants. Whoa. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was huge. And that so- Right. And so it's stuff like that, though, Vic. Am I right? It's like it's funny because like something like that seems to happen about twice a year in our industry, um, affecting different segments and mm-hmm. different, you know, uh, ISOs and stuff. And so when you're out there in the field, you know, you right. you get those deals because you walk in and they're like, look, you know, my terminal's rebooting over and over again. And you're like, yeah, right. I know. I know exactly. Right. I can tell you what happened. And then that, right. that builds that that trust. So, OK, so actually, actually, to, to be, I actually had a scenario. <laughs> the merchant on on owned the terminal so there wasn't any custom passwords so she decided to switch with me and i actually fixed the terminal on the spot application and just in case you need to process sales over the next week here this is a fix and she's like oh my god you just fixed it <laughs> i was like yeah and you haven't even started with me yet right. just you, wait till you're wait, you just know, wait till you're working with me yeah that's great that's great so let's talk about sales cycle a little bit uh vic so yeah um, you know, some people in this industry go door to door and close, you know, one call close, which happens a lot more in the rural areas. Some people are doing three, four, five follow-ups. Give us a little bit of a flavor of like, what's the sales cycle look like for you? How many days are involved? How many visits involved on average? That kind of stuff. You know how I said before that I, I was, I, I tracked a lot of stuff. Um, I haven't been diligent in tracking that. Sure. Um, this for, in my area I haven't found, and I'm sure my lack of, preparation and or attitude about it contributes to this but i haven't found this to be a one call close yeah. business no, even I would if agree. you get someone at the perfect <laughs> time yeah and they sign the paperwork yeah you still have to get the installed then they have to call and cancel their old company so i haven't found in my time in this business that this is a impulse buy so to speak business. sure 
Sure. Um, there's just a lot of steps involved. That's you know, there's underwriting. I mean, you know that part of it. So. Yeah, sure. But as it as it pertains to follow-ups, um, I have it more now. Now I kind of have a three strikes you're out rule in terms of if someone says that they're open and I follow up with them a few times. After three times, right. I'm done. But you know, when I had 22 clients. You know, my residual was eight hundred dollars. I'd, I'd follow up until I got the sale. Right. So, and some, a lot of times <laughs> yeah. I didn't get it. <laughs> but, sure, sure. I mean, some of my best clients. I'm thinking about two right now. I, I mean, probably two and a half years. I, I followed them. You know, I didn't. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe once every three months. You know, but I, I think in this business, as a local agent, if that's your competitive edge, which for me it definitely is. Right. You know, when people see that you're not going away and they see that the rep that yep. they signed up with eight years ago has any, they don't even know them. You know, they, they haven't right. heard from them. They haven't seen them, nothing. And then you're there saying you're a local agent and now I have a decent following, you know, because I've been around a bit. People know me. You know, they, they see it's like, you know what? This guy isn't going away. I'm not even a customer and he's still here, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, so, that's that's a huge uh, sales that's a cycle. Huge is, it. it varies, though. It does. Wouldn't you say too? I mean, at least for me, it was always a little bit dependent on the size of the deal. Like I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah like right? I remember one that I followed up on for uh, about seven months, where it was literally like mm-hmm. twice a month for seven months. Uh huh. And the reason uh-huh. I did that is because it was a ski lodge, and when I closed yeah. it, I got literally my residual for four months a year was two thousand dollars a month for four months. Wow. So I've made wow. $8,000 a year off of that account for like, I don't know what, uh, you know, seven years now or something. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, so to me, it's like, you know, you're following up because it's like, oh, well, I like it, but now we got to talk to this person. Well, now you got to talk to this person. Mm-hmm. Well, now we got to bring it before the right. board. Well, now the board needs this, right. you know, like, so I think when you deal with right. that, but to me, it's like, as long as they're moving forward and they're taking action steps and not just, you know, right. yanking your Jerking chain you and, around. And, yeah. And, and even after almost nine years in this business, I mean, there's a lot that I haven't done well and. And sure. that's one of the things that I've really done a terrible job with is going after bigger deals. Sure. Um, and the truth is, one of the things that's awesome about this business is that, you know, the guy or gal that's in this business for 20 days, you know, they don't care if you're in the business 20 years or 20 days. As long as you provide them value mm-hmm. and you can get the answers that are important to them, they don't they don't care about anything else. They really don't. Sure. Sure. So, so before we get off of kind of the prospecting side, I want to go back. We talked about how you prospected to get your first thousand. Um, mm-hmm. And I know you've tried other, you know, other prospecting methods, other marketing tactics, things yeah. like that, right? Have yeah. you found some other things that worked? You know, if you look at your last thousand in residual growth, did you get that in any kind of a different way than the first thousand? As I've been in business longer, I do get more referrals, but it, it's, you this I haven't found. I mean, I've listened to the you know Tom Hopkins. Yep. You know, say you do a great job servicing your account, and you get all recommendations because people want to help you grow your business. <laughs> I have not found that to be the case. <laughs> my customers yeah. can care less about growing my business. Right. It sounds great, but in my market, in my business, I have not found that to be the case. Um, so to answer your question, I haven't really walked into businesses for the last three years. Um, I, it just my attrition is next to zero. I mean, that's really the thing. Um, right. I do cross-sell my existing clients. Um, You're talking about upgrading them to uh, a point of sale or something like that? Yeah, so something like that. You know, going back to them with industry trends. Obviously, sure. this cash discounting thing has been a, a major opportunity sure. in mm-hmm. the way of 
getting higher residual, you know, minimizing attrition even more. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean you know, the customer doesn't follow the news. They don't read the green sheet. They have right. no idea What's what going anything on? is going on in this business. So if anything, even if it's once a year, you know, I can meet with them. And, of course, there's a selfish motive to it. Of course. You know, I, get, I get referrals and... Yeah, I'm not going to lie about that. I definitely have my motives, but they get something from it, right. no matter how you slice it. You know, I make sure that they, they have enough paper. Yep. Um, if there's any anything on the terminal, anything coming out on the statement, if their PCI compliance is due. Right. You know, most companies, if people don't do that stupid questionnaire once a year, it's like three, $400 a year that they're just throwing out the compliance window. fees. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep, yep. So and- if you literally can't even do anything on, on their fees, but you save them that, I mean, a small merchant, you say, hey, would you want to have $400 a year or the processing company? Right. (laughs) Right, right. Sure. And, you know, it's just so interesting to me because, you know, when I talk to, like I always say that my job is so weird because I I spend a lot of time with two totally different groups of people, individual agents who are talking to merchants and then CEOs and presidents of processing companies. And I like my time is like evenly split between the two. Um, And it's so funny how they live in different worlds because... When I talk to the presidents and CEOs, it's always the big changes that are going to sweep the industry. Right. When you actually go out in the field and talk to merchants, you're like, you know, this merchant is never even going to, if that change happens, they're going to hear about it in 10 years. They have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. They don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. And you kind of see why change does happen very slowly in this business Mm -hmm. because merchants are sold more than merchants buy things. Right. Um, and no you question. know, right, yeah. and they have to get approached. So that's that's really interesting. So let me just go if, you, if I can ask you yeah. real quick, Vic, uh, your market. Yeah. Uh, how do you is is it Long Island? I mean, I know the people out there might not know where you are. So when we talk about you, yeah. you being in a competitive yeah. market, uh, I, I I live and my business is based on Long Island. Long Island is like a hundred miles. Long right, it's a long. It's a. Long, it's a, a it's almost a state itself, but right, but but it's very it, it's. You know, from day one, I made the decision to build this business within like twenty or thirty miles of where okay, my home that's, office yeah, is. Yeah, that's and what I'm I really was wondering. Glad I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Because you know what? If you service your accounts, which I do, it you know, if you take whatever comes in, you're going to be wasting half your day driving. Yeah, oh, driving yeah. to Queens um, or whatever, right? Yeah. Correct. Down to Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's it's a huge. A very one. populated area. That I live out in the suburbs. I'm not in the metropolitan area. Uh huh. Um. There's, there's plenty uh, of retail brick-and-mortar businesses. You know, I haven't even tapped into the professional market. You know, I have a right. few dentists, but, yeah, lawyers, uh, physicians. I mean, there's a myriad of those out here. Sure, sure. Okay, so so let's move on with the sales process here because I, I still want to cover this, yeah. and then I also want to talk a little bit about cash discounting for just a minute. Um, but yeah. let's talk about closing the deal. So you have somebody, they're interested, sure. you've had a couple visits or whatever it is, and now you're going to go in and you're going to finalize yeah. this. Number one, yeah. do you have any tips on how you close the deal? And number two, what's the process? Are you using paper app, electronic, pre-filling it? Like, what do you? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Um, well, the, the first part, the most important part, closing it. I, I don't. I, I don't ask. I, I just assume. I, I just I see. Okay, so this is what you're going to get as a result of working with my agency. Do you have any questions? No. Okay, I just need a voided check, a few John Hancock's, and I'll have you terminal next week. That's it. <laughs> I like that. Nice. You know, it's so funny because a lot of salespeople might have listened to that and then like, oh, okay, what was that little line? You might want to rewind and then listen to that a few times. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's a really good line. And then you go right into filling out the paperwork, I assume, right? Right. Well, it depends on the processor. Um, I personally have, I like, 
again, this is one of the things that I should improve with. Um, I, I usually don't do the electronic applications, um, and that's simply because there's always paperwork that you need to send in anyway. Uh, yep. Avoid a check, mm -hmm. you know, proof of the business or something like that. So, but there's no question you'll save time if you do the electronic. But it's, I always forget to bring my laptop out, and yeah, you know, I don't want to have to worry about do they have an internet connection? Is it going to work? Right. I don't want to think about it. Yep. So I typically do the paper, and um, yeah, when I go through the paperwork, I, again, one of the things that I don't want to say I'm good at because I don't think it's a skill. I think you either have it or you don't. Um, I make people very comfortable, and, and I give off a good sense of trust, and mm -hmm. you know, th there's no question that it's a good thing for them. So when I whip out the paperwork, first off, yeah, actually, depending on the client, sometimes it's not even filled out. I just check off where they need to sign. I'll pretty much get, give a, a one-sentence summary as to what they need to sign and why, yep. and 95% of the time they say okay, and they do it. Yeah, and they, I mean, but I mean, the first thing I have them sign though is the thing that says there's no cancellation fee. So if that's the first thing yeah, I sign, yeah, that's nice. You know, it's like the order of signature is very important, right? It's not like the first the first thing I need important. from you is your social security number. Yeah, then no. it's like <laughs> you have to build, right? No, you build I, up. <laughs> I, I do that order. I, I do the no ETF. I do the equipment. Right. Uh, then I do the the bank verification one. Um, and the last one I do is the, you know, the personal info. Cause after that, they've signed six times already. Like, all right, I guess it's the last thing. Right. They're, they're already vested in the process. They filled out enough paperwork right. that they got to finish it at that point. So, right. and the funny thing right. is that most merchant applications are laid out in exactly the opposite order that you just gave. Right. So a lot of new agents are like, <laughs> they start at the top and they're like, all right, so I need your social. You know, it's like, uh, you just lost the right. sale right there. Mm -hmm. Um, right. but, but, but so. even that though, again, that goes back to it. You know, I don't, that's just a little thing that you learn in time. Yeah. But the truth is, I've never had. I've had people ask questions. Why do you need this? And I've I've explained it to them. Right. But I've never had somebody sign everything and then we get to that and they go, Oh, all right, no, 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 I'm not right. making a change now. Right. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And you know, it's funny because, like you just said, how you know maybe you either have it or you don't. And I mean, I agree with that to a certain extent. I think it's more of a sales gene of like, you know, you're, you're able to talk to people, but I think as far as specifically making them feel comfortable, I think that you right. make people feel comfortable with the paperwork. If you're comfortable with the paperwork. Well, that, yeah, I think that's really important. That's I remember fair. years ago, you know, getting a, an account and the guy just, you know, like Vic was just saying, I mean, the guy just didn't give me a good vibe. Right. You know, right. it was a fine yeah. deal, but right. he just didn't give me right. a good vibe. Seems shifty. I, yeah. There was just right. something yeah. about him. I didn't, like, nah, I don't want to tie my wagon to this guy. Right, right. And so, I, and I think a lot right. of agents, I mean, I've been with, I don't know, 100 agents or so filling out a merchant app. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of times where the merchant gets the cold feet. And I can tell. I mean, I'm standing there and it's so obvious the person is like either right. not familiar with the paperwork. Right. right. You know what I mean? And they're like, now, where is that paper yeah. that I needed you to? Let's see here. I think it's, oh, you know what? I think I left right. it in my portfolio book. Mm, oh, no, come on. No, like, they, I mean, for sure they know that they are your only client. So that's bad right, right. off the bat because well, you've I'll never done this, this before. Uh, what I've been doing for years, and sometimes I don't like it, but I found that it gets me organized for the next day. I prepare all of my appointments that I have for the next day the night before. So when, I, when I'm when i leaving for the day, I have my portfolio binder with all the meeting agendas, all the paperwork. It's ready to go. Right. So, And mm -hmm. I've been doing this long enough where you know I know what paperwork I need. I know what documents I need. And... Yeah, that confidence comes in time. I mean, when you've sold 200 accounts, you, you know what you're doing. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. It's that simple. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, two other things I want to talk about real quick, just to kind of get your input. Yeah. Um, number one is the relationship with the processing company, and even more specifically, we talked about it before the interview a little bit, but it's like the relationship with the person at the processing company. Mm -hmm. Talk about how important that is because it's so interesting to me. Like one of the most interesting trends is talking to salespeople. I'll literally have a back-to-back phone call one salesperson I'm working with says, I'm working for XYZ company. They are terrible. Their support is terrible. I never get what I want, et cetera, et cetera. The next call, I'm selling for this XYZ, the same company, and I work with Sarah, and she's amazing, and I always get what I need right yep. away, and mm -hmm. I love their company. So yep. talk about that yep. dynamic a little bit. You've worked with different companies. I mean, how important is that, yeah. and how does that how does that work? Well, I, I, can, I mean, is it okay if I name specific companies? Or sure, go I for it. that generic? Well, okay. as, long, as long as it's I not mean, a negative, I, let's not offend anybody, but you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. You know, you, you've mentioned this before on, on some videos, and, and I didn't believe it at first, but now I, I do. And what I'm talking about specifically is the, the partnership you have with a processor is more important than payout. I could tell you right now, I yep. get email yeah. solicitations on, on LinkedIn. Every week, everybody's saying, we can give you an 80, 85% payout. You know, we have all this. You know, our, our schedule A is very low. You know what? I could probably make about five grand more a month in residual if I switched over, over to that. But the truth is, when I think about the value I get from North American Bank Card, and there are some people out there that don't like them, but to me, like the, the most recent example is what I, I said before, which is, uh, you know, with this whole Verifone debacle. To me, the value of saving me hours of my life to you know, just email my – and I've, I've had a few over the years, but Paul has been my, my rep for probably three years or so now. Um, he, he's just there. I mean, it's almost like an employee. He really is. He's right, not mm -hmm. technically, obviously, but if right. I need something, and 80% of my accounts are with them, so if I need something, I can call him and email him, and I feel like a priority. You know, I, I get what I need. Yep. and. To me, that that's valuable. That's sure. really valuable. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And, and you know, and, and the truth is, as a result of getting that, I'm able to go out and 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 sell more. So, right, sure. Even if I got a higher payout, if I get it from a company who who just basically emails me and says, "Hey, do you have any deals for us this month?" You know, that that's not value for me as an agent. Right, right. And you know, talk about this too, because one of the things that that is interesting about agents that first get into the industry. They get a little yeah. bit confused about the relationship because they feel like, you know, like, hey, you're not actually an employee of the processor in, in, in many cases, right? You're a 1099. So right. if yeah. you're putting in no deals and you have no residual, then you have no leverage and you should expect very bad support. Right. So, right. Right? right, like, haven't you noticed, I mean, whether it's NAB or whoever else, I mean, like, as you've grown in the industry and your leverage has grown, your number of deals, your residual probably, I don't know, I'm guessing you've probably gotten maybe better support as a result, or, or is that is that accurate? It, it, you know what it is? I've never been a big producer in a sense. I've never, you talk about people that do 20, 30 deals a month. I've never done, right. the most I've ever done in one month, I think is eight. Right. Um, I typically do, well, when I was in my growth, you know, when I got to my first probably 120 or so clients, I was picking up regularly three or four accounts a month, but right. like every month. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hardly ever lose people. So, right. um, although that's not a lot of acquisition, and especially for a super ISO like NAB, I mean, that's a drop in the that's bucket. That's a nat, right. But, a, a but it's a sticky nat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I understand that, yeah, that's not a lot of production, but I've been writing deals with them consistently for yeah. eight years. Right. Mm-hmm. So and that's being that, that and that's, a lot of people that's going into this business and, and are out within 12 months, right, right. to me, that, that's, that's loyalty. And, it and is. the truth is they make well over six figures a year, you know, splitting the residual that, that I make them. So right. as far as I'm concerned, they're doing just I'm, a, I'm a value to them just as <laughs> sure. they are to me. Sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. And there has to be that mutual. And that's the part I think the important thing I want to emphasize is that the agents need to understand there has to be a mutual value. It's like the agents want to come right. in and say, well, I'm not going to guarantee that I'm going to do any number of deals or give you any amount of residual and I want all the money. Well, wait, right. like they have to have the, empl- they have right. to pay, you know, you mentioned Paul, whoever that is, the support person, like, you know, yeah. Mark Gardner over at NAB has to pay Paul, you know, yeah. $60,000 right. a year or whatever to answer your emails. Right. Um, and so there has right. to be that mutual, you know, beneficial thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. But I get treated well. I get Good. treated well. And you know, I'm a relationship guy, and as I said, I, I there are plenty of people that'll throw a higher payout at me, and sure. you know, I've done the numbers, and there's no question I could make a lot more, but right, you know, kind of like how we make fun of merchants, how they say, you know, oh, you could do so much better, but they don't change. Well, if you have something good, and I've been in the business long enough to know the difference between good and bad, right, I do have something good, right, so right, right, you know. So do you think? I mean, you you talk you you've mentioned the word relationship a lot, and 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 that comes up a lot in financial services. I'm just wondering, did your experience as a banker sort of get your head in that space more than say if you came from another industry? Do you think? Um, you know, because banking is such a relationship. Relation- yeah. Now I I don't know if it's a relationship thing is more of it's a personality thing. Okay. Um, I mean, I've been in the financial services space for for 20 years, Mm -hmm. and I I mean, it's just, to answer your question, I don't know if it's a a financial services specific quality. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I was just just curious, because it does seem, you know, there are some industries, you know. Yeah, it does seem like there's industries where we get a lot of people from banking, we get a lot of people from insurance. Mm -hmm. Which are are relationship-oriented businesses. And I think that's more of like a sales general trait, isn't it? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's like, if you're in that, you know, you private. So so last topic I want to talk about real quick here, Vic, is cash discounting. Um, So... You have, and this is what I'm really interested in in hearing is, okay, you have existing merchants who were already on traditional processing who, correct me if I'm wrong, you've now switched them to a cash discount uh, program of some kind or a non-cash adjustment incentive, whatever. Uh, you're They're passing yeah. the cost of processing onto the consumer through some form or another. How has that yeah. gone for the merchants? Have you had a lot of people that did it and then switched back to traditional or how has it gone for you? Mm, yeah. No. Not one. It's been huh. a grand slam home run. Nice. Um, you'll get people. I, I I believe in it. You know, I personally think it's it's baloney that businesses have to pay money so people can pay them for their stuff. <laughs> right. um, but as think? it turns out, that's the business I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. Um, you know, I'm not a hypocrite about it. I mean, when I buy stuff, to me, the value of using plastic is the convenience. The security, if I lose my card, I call the bank, I get another one. I don't right. have to think yeah. about replacing yeah. it. Um, I don't have to think about how much money I have on me. If I want something, I get it. That's it. 
Um, so the fact that the merchants have to pay extra for that, I mean, the banks designed the industry that way. It was very right. smart. Right. Um, but I, I, I believe in the cash discounting thing. I, I believe, you know, if you're a merchant who's, you know, processes $10,000 a month and you're paying $300, $350 a month, yep. the truth is you'll get somebody, and I've had people complain to me about this, that like, I shouldn't say complain, like, bring it up as an objection. Say, hey, you know, I don't want to piss my customers off. Say, okay, well, let me ask you something. Is the customer that, you know, gets upset, are they going to make you, you know, $4,000 a year in profit? Mm-hmm. And they say, no, definitely not. So I say, well, as a business, you got to make good business decisions. So I said, I can care less whether you do this because you're the one paying the fees, not me. Right. But <laughs> at the like end that. of the day, you know, it, it, this is this is money that you could be pocketing. And most importantly, this is way past the guinea pig stage now. Right. I mean, cash discounting this is a proven has thing. been a huge Well, trend. yeah, exactly. And, and then people, you know, they can always just go get the cash if they don't want to pay the higher right. fee. Right. You know, I mean, as a that's consumer, that's, that's what, I, what I would I do. Say, you're not taking away the convenience. I say you're telling the customer, listen, I don't want to make it inconvenient for you. But just like a lot of other things, you know, if you want a car wash, you could do it yourself or you can go to the car wash and pay right. someone to you do it. You pay for convenience. money for service. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so just to clarify, because, you know, I really want to drive this home because obviously we've been talking about this since day one on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And here we are at, you know, I think yeah. this episode 53 or something. So, um, you know, so Vic, yeah. as an agent in a really hyper competitive market who has like 200 plus merchant accounts, you have switched mm-hmm a significant percentage of them to cash discounting, many of them longer than six to six or 12 months or whatever they've been doing this. And you've had zero merchants that have come back and said, this is enough of a problem for a business that we want to go back to traditional Correct. processing. Is well, that accurate? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I have about 160 accounts okay. and okay. I probably have, I probably, I picked up some new people right. doing it too, but I think the total amount of clients that I have now that are doing this is somewhere between 25 and 30. Sure. So the majority is still not doing still traditional, this, but right. the, the the bigger question is the people that have done it, right. not one have called me back and say, get rid of it. I want right. this. So to me, that's, that's the yeah. ultimate and that you know, also, acid test. And also kind of gives you the momentum for other people who aren't doing it if you right. can show right. them what yeah. these people are doing. Yeah, that's sure. the benefit of having right. that local market strategy mm-hmm. because now probably those 25 or 30 probably know other merchants right. on your Talking list as well. Talking it up and, at the Rotary Club or whatever. And, and the biggest one Again, pat back to the local agent. I say, hey, I say, listen, I'm not going away. Mm-hmm. So you do this, and two months from now, you say, eh, eh, get rid of it. Right. I call the processor, I file, update the file, come down, do a download, and you're done. Right. I'm yep. not going to disappear. Right, exactly. So. Yep. That's another value. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you know, Vic, I just want to thank you for taking time to do this. I know unlike some of our other executives and stuff, there's not a huge payoff for an individual rep coming on here and doing this, but it just, it, you know, you wanted to share your story, and I know that that's going to be a help to others. So, Oh, I think it's going to be a great yeah. help to our listeners. So last question for you, Vic, before we go then, um, there's people listening right now who are just getting into this business. They've been in the business for 30 days. Yeah. They're out prospecting just like you in a competitive market, and they're like, wow, this is brutal. Mm-hmm. What would you say yeah. to them? Why should they stick with it? You know, why do you love this industry so much? I, I still sometimes have to pinch myself, and I know it sounds crazy <laughs> to hear that, but when, when I think I still get paid on accounts that I signed up in 2011, and the best part of this business, residual income is what it's all about, but sure. combined with that is the amount of clients that I have, you would think that my phone would be ringing off the hook and I wouldn't be able to get anything done. Right. Not the case. Barring an industry screw-up, or, you know, a network outage or something like that. I get emails, you know, and texts every week, but 
the amount of time that I have to spend to maintain a five-figure, a nice five-figure residual income is, I mean, I, 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 I like I said, I have to pinch myself. <laughs> I, this right. is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And I'm not one of these guys who's a workaholic. Right. Um, I'm not. Right. I, I, it's, it's definitely hindered the growth of my business, but you know, to get paid every single month and have it be cumulative, right. you know, it's like working at a job and getting a salary, and then the next year you get like 80%, 90% of the salary you got last year, too. Right. It's, right. It yeah. really is unique. It, it is. really yeah, is, and it, it is. takes time to build up, but I'm here to tell you that, you know, and I don't know, besides James, I don't know anybody else who's an independent agent in my market here. I don't. Yeah. So one of the things I struggled with is that, you know, Lone it's wolf. a dream of doing this, but is it real? Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that it is real. And yep. it's, as I said, the, the fact that you're in a business where everyone has the same cost, you know, you're insulated, there's no Amazon.com com competition. Well, not mm -hmm. yet, at least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You never know. <laughs> but who knows? Libra. Right. But, you know, to, right. to be in a business where everyone has the same cost and you could beat the big banks and provide better service and make money. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, and you don't, there's no licenses required. I right. mean, it's, yeah. if you're a stand-up cool. person, you're trustworthy and you really care about taking care of clients and, and giving them a great experience, this is definitely one of the, the best decisions I've ever made in my life. That's awesome, Vic. Well, hey man, thanks again so much for investing your time in this uh, interview and yeah, I know a lot of people you. will enjoy it. So. Really enjoyed talking to you. No thanks, problem. Vic. Thanks, Vic. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, James. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, so this week I want to share with you um, some rankings that came out from the Straw Hacker Group. Uh, they have come out with a list of top performing payment gateways. The metrics are based on transactions from two U.S. locations, as well as pings from over 20 different U.S. and U.K. Uh, locales using the same cards. They, did, um, they created rankings for the best performing gateway, the highest authorization rates, gateway uptime, and fastest transactions. Now, the uh, best performing gateway uh, rankings were based on metrics involving five key areas authorization rate, transaction success rate, transaction speed, gateway response time, and gateway uptime. And uh, the top uh, prize went to Elevon's Fusebox Gateway. That was the top winner. And there were two runners-up, uh, WorldPay's VAP and the uh, TSIS uh, Multipass Gateway. Now, the highest authorization rates, uh, this was based on a percentage of authorization failures each day that were unrelated to issuer, network, or cardholders. Uh, BluePay, which is part of First Data's Card Connect platform, took the top honors. And the runner-ups runner were uh, TSA's Multipay, uh, Multipass, rather, and uh, Elevon's Fusebox. Now, in terms of gateway uptime, and this to me seems to be, you know, probably one of the most uh, critical ones, 
Uh, TSG, uh, that's the straw hacker group, excuse me, they ping gateways every minute from over 20 different locations to ID um, uptime issues. Uh, that worked out to works out to about uh, 31,680 pings a day per gateway. So uh, TSYS took top honors, and the runners-up were Epic Pay and T- uh, okay TSYS uh, MultiPass took top honors, and whereas the uh, Epic Pay and TSYS Trans Express were the runners-up. Now, here's an interesting aside about Epic Pay. That was a company that I wasn't totally familiar with. Um, they won first place for onboarding simplicity um, in Straw Hacker's Developer API Awards back in 2018. But here's something I thought was very interesting. They donate a portion of revenues to ministries and humanitarian programs in the U.S. and abroad. Their World Changers program lets clients direct donations to their favorite causes. So... Um, you know, that was pretty interesting, I thought. Okay, fastest transactions. Uh, this was based on transaction times for signature debit cards. Elevon was the top performing gateway. WorldPay's VAP was the runner-up. And uh, that's it for now. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So this week, Patty, um, I thought what I would talk about, and it's, and it's interesting, you know, a lot of people probably don't know how we actually record this podcast, that mm-hmm. you come in here and we take a whole day to do these episodes. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, as Patty knows, I just had to leave. I had a call, uh, a 15-minute call, and that call is with one of my six-week jumpstart participants, an individual agent. Oh, okay. Uh, so he is right now in California, and he has taken a week to sell with his brother, who's been in the industry for a long time, and his brother paid for him to be in the program because he's new to the industry. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So one thing I was talking to him about was show and tell. Mm, yes. And I said, show and tell still works. It's great. And he's like, what do you mean by that? You know, that's something I did in kindergarten. Uh, uh-huh. so, well, we're going to do it again. So um, he is uh, primarily going after selling like bars. Okay. Um, and he sells them Clover because Clover actually has some new apps right. for like keeping uh, tabs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So uh, he's like, you know, I was asking him his opening pitch. His opening pitch was very much focused on price and saving the money. Right. right? And he walks in right off the bat. Right. Um, and, you know, while it's, you know, it's, it can be effective um, because the truth is as much as all the ISO execs would love to avoid this problem, merchants still want to talk about price. Of course. I was just in Toronto last week. I walked into 40, 50 merchant locations in a day. And even in Toronto, Canada, guess what every merchant wanted to talk to me about? How much? Price, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just a reality. But I said, you know, you can at least have a better opening dialogue before right. you get to the price. Right. And I said, the way to do that, if I was in your shoes, I said, get a Clover Mini or a Clover Flex. 
uh-huh. and walk into the merchant location right. and say, hey, I was just talking to Susan over at XYZ Company. We put in a few Clover systems over there. I saw your guys' system here. Have you guys ever seen this? You see the new Clovers? That's how you start a conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's funny because like the longer I'm doing this and the, the more opening pitches I'm designing for different processing companies and ISOs and stuff, the more I'm going towards more of a very simple approach at the beginning sure. to make less resistance, less rejection. Right. Uh, and show and tell has got to be near the top of my list. It has to be. I mean, just any, any, any kind of sale, right? right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I start, you know, I look for things, you know, I'm going to purchase a, a new tractor right 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 uh, I, i'm online i'm looking at all the videos first right, of course before i even decide what i'm gonna of look. course yeah and people you know one of the things that's interesting too in this kind of digital age like people looking at videos and stuff right. one of the things that's interesting is that actually holding something in your hand and touching it oh yeah it, it's actually so much better um and and it's something that can set you apart and especially in this industry it is yeah because it could because in this industry nobody does that right like uh, like one of the things I always look at when I'm trying to sell is like what can I do that other people are not doing mm-hmm. I want to be different sure and this is one of those things walk in and again it doesn't have to be clover it just that's what this particular rep was selling right you know right. you could walk in with a, a point terminal you could walk mm-hmm. in with whatever right um but you know you know but the a, idea is to go in and say let me show you yeah well how it, this let me show you and even it, Along with that, if you want to double the power, is also I just installed one of these for so and so. Okay. Yeah. Or I'm sure. on my way to install this for Bill. Right. So I would actually do this, and this is a really powerful prospecting tip for for agents. You know, if you're going out to do an install, I don't even care if it's a VX520. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's fine. At least it's something. Right. Um, you're going out there. Schedule the install for three, four in the afternoon, mm-hmm. right? Um, or so that you can go someplace else before. Yes. Yeah. Or sure. if you're going to do it first thing in the morning, so give yourself a day. And t- I'm telling you, go the day. If you don't have demo terminals, that's fine. Maybe you don't have 500 bucks to spend on a, a uh-huh. demo point terminal or something. Take the one that you sold to somebody and walk around and show it to as many merchants as you can the day before or you know, sure. the day of or whatever. Right. But, you know, walk in and show it to people. It's a great conversation starter. And more importantly, it's a conversation starter that's not talking about the price. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. look at these new features it has. It does this. It does that. Right. I'd love to come back and talk to you about this and maybe give you a little bit of a demo. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, set up that demo. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's really, really powerful. And then what I want to talk about in uh, next week is we're going to talk about overcoming the status quo objection, which goes right into this. And so you're going to have these conversations. The They're going to be good conversations. Mm-hmm. The only objection you're going to get usually is a status quo objection, meaning they're happy with what they have. Sure. sure. So we're going to talk next week about how to get around that. But this week, I really want to challenge you. Think creatively about show and tell. Yeah. It sure. can be as simple as a video on an iPad. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not great, but it's something. It's better than nothing. Right. Right. Or it could be, uh, you know, something where you're bringing in a point of sale system. Uh, you know, a, a you know something that's not you know massive. Like I wouldn't walk in there with the micros. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be register. a bit much. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you work out all the time and you want to show that off. So you're gonna walk in <laughs> carrying. No, I'm, I'm an athlete. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, show and tell. Think about that. It'll really help you in the field. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space. We appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.